Welcome to Equosity, our podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We're continuing on with our conversation with Anne Edie. Anne is blind, and she uses a miniature horse named Panda as her guide. Last week, Anne and I talked about why we were interested in training a guide horse. Panda's training has turned her into just a super tour guide. And that's where we stopped. So that's where we'll pick up in this week's conversation. Panda is, she's such a tour guide. She's so conscientious about pointing things out. In fact, I remember when you first started working with her and one of the comments that you made was, you had no idea that all the things that were in your neighborhood because the dogs hadn't been pointing them out. But. Right, because she likes to stop at every um, mailboxes. She'll show me where the mailboxes are. She'll show me where the uh, bushes are that are along the, you know, by the side of the driveways. She, she'll point things out to me that I never knew were there. And of course, when she was first starting, she did not know what were the important landmarks. So until you sort of filtered out, I really don't need to know about this particular bush or this particular mailbox. Those are not relevant landmarks. So you would you would not reinforce her when she would point to those? Is that how you taught her? Right, or just ask her to go on, mostly. Okay. Tell us more about the dialogue the two of you have. Okay. Well, when we're walking in my neighborhood, there are no sidewalks. So we walk along the left side of the street and basically it's her job to shoreline which means to stay right along the edge of the asphalt and stay as close to that as she can now she also has the duty of going around obstacles and so uh, along the side of the street there are any number of obstacles there are always uh, piles of leaves in the in the fall. Um, in the spring, there are piles of brush that people have cleaned up that are waiting to be picked up by the city trucks. Trash cans. Uh, there are trash cans on on trash days. There are often parked uh, cars. Parked cars or kids' bicycles. Snow. snow. Oh, snow in you know in the winter time. There's always snow and ice. There are also uh, storm drains, which she avoids. And if she can, she'll also avoid uh, puddles or mud or ice uh, and other uh, things that are bad footing, basically. And uh, so she'll go around all of those things. And then there are areas like at the corners where we always where we cross. And... I'm going to interrupt for just a second with the puddles sure. because there will be some people who will say, well, what's the big deal of that? My horse won't go through a puddle either. But it's not <laughs> that it's not that Panda won't go through a puddle. It's that if there is a safe option, she'll go around them. Yes. But if there isn't a safe option, she will take you, she'll stop, you'll find the puddle. And in the winter, puddles can be really treacherous because... There's often ice under the under the water, yeah. and so they can be really slippery. And Panda will slow 
absolutely down to a very, very slow pace and make sure that you are steady. Yes, and she often puts her nose right down near it so that she can see if there's ice under the, the water. So she'll, if she can, she'll go around those kinds of puddles, especially in the wintertime where if it uh, was cold the night before and there's ice there and then it rains on top of that, it'll be particularly slippery, which is another advantage actually of the horses over the dogs because I always found that dogs have a hard time understanding the dangers of various kinds of footing that the horses have an understanding of. Right. Because it's much easier for dogs to scrabble over things like loose gravel, things like mud, and even piles of leaves. Yeah, they can be slippery. They can be slippery, especially when they're wet. Yeah. So how would, let's say she encounters something she's never seen before. What would she do? Hmm. How would you, how how would she ask your opinion? (laughs) Well, we used to, that would be, um, if we go back to some of her, the early training. Yeah. So one of the things that, we live near a, a small city. And so during the training periods, we would take Panda down into the city proper. And at the time, oh, it was just, it was so much fun. From a training point of view, as a, as a guide trainer, you look for novelty. You look for things that would be a challenge so that you can stretch your guide a little bit in yeah, terms of... whether it's people with funny hats or people working on the roof yeah. that she may not have encountered before, ladders. Right. And so in this case, they were tearing up the sidewalks. So there was a lot of construction. They had actually torn up one lane of the road right at the curb, so there was a, a like rubble in this lane and then they had put plywood uh, planks over the it was, to get it wasn't from the plywood it, it was, was just... a a wooden board mm-hmm. that was like a 12 inches maybe 14 yeah, inches foot wide or so yeah and so it was literally walking the plank from Ooh, from the that sounds dangerous from the road up over a section of sidewalk that was uh that they had jackhammered into rubble so you're walking over this board and and on either side is a it's not a huge drop off but a drop off of probably four inches four to five inches well enough to torn your ankle yeah and then (laughs) up onto the part of the The sidewalk sidewalk that was left that was left and and you had to get on the board from the street side so you had to go out and around to get to this board now panda had never there was no other way there was no other way other than turning around and not going that way so she'd never seen anything like this Hmm. i don't think she'd ever been i i would never i would never have had her walk a plank because i wouldn't have had a plank for her to walk you had her yep and furthermore we were the the reason we were down there is on that particular day is we were there with the photographer who did pictures for the children's book that was written about Panda. And so he had his reflector panel screen set up. So not only was she doing this with a novel object, but she's doing it with this crazy photographer and his silver light reflecting screens that are sort of in various odd places. Following around. Um, And 
so Anne, she was she was phenomenal. Yeah, and we had just walked down the street. There were signs, you know, construction warning signs and things like that that were in the sidewalk. Probably uh, sawhorses and construction tape and things like that. She was just wonderful. She hadn't seen any of this stuff before, but. So what did she do? She stopped, she thought about it, and then she said, okay, I know what to do, let's go, Anne. We stopped at the curb, because that's what mm-hmm. she does, and then you were, we were going to cross a street and go, and I didn't know what was on the other side, so I wasn't cueing her in any way, uh, except to go forward, and she scoped out the, the pathway, and figured out. It was wide enough for the two of you. Yeah, it was wide enough for the two of us. And she just went, uh, yeah, but she just went straight ahead as long as she's. uh, So she would have stopped. She stopped at the base of the board. Yeah. She put her foot up on the board to to signal. That way we're going to step up onto something. Something. And uh, then I told her to go forward and she went up the board to the other end. She stopped at the other end. And where, she went really slowly. Where we had to slowly. step off the board. Right. So that you, and she made sure that you had room. So she kind of positioned herself slightly hmm. in front and then went really slowly to make sure that you were stable on the board. Mm-hmm. It was, it was fascinating. Hmm. What about things like fireworks and scary, loud, or frightening things in the environment? That would be the the, the siren in in Saratoga. Mm. Yeah, we were walking in the in Saratoga, in the center of town. I can't remember what happened before it, but we had walked past, you know, those sandwich boards that that restaurants put out in front of their doors uh, on which they write the day's special or whatever it is right and and they had a, a bunch of balloons floating mm. above the sandwich board mm. so this sandwich board okay. is right at panda's height it's blocking yep. the sidewalk she's going to have to deal with it in some way to go around it in some fa- fashion and there's a bunch of helium balloons floating above it she didn't react to it in any way it was just and she's close and, it's right. not like she's 50 feet no. away she's just right there they're they're having to pass right next to it mm. and then just as they got past that maybe a car's length away from it an ambulance siren was it an ambulance or a police car i don't remember i think it was an ambulance it was an ambulance turned on its siren and went blasting off right next to right us. next to her <laughs> okay no reaction no reaction nope wow that's amazing she is amazing she is just extraordinary so same thing with fireworks well i haven't taken her to fireworks deliberately Well, sometimes you don't have to take her to these kind of are all over the the city no but we have had you know even our next door neighbors when they had kids who were teenagers or pre-teenagers or whatever and 4th of July they would set off rockets and whatever I don't know whether they were legal or not but Mm. they there would be quite a few of them in the neighborhood and it never bothered Panda at all I always uh, wow so I've always wondered if you took you know we talk about breeding these horses down to make smaller smaller horses and that's how you got the minis well what if you took these extraordinary minis Mm -hmm. 
and started breeding them up, would that amazing temperament stay with them? Because talk about this is the kind of temperament that we want in our riding horses. Mm -hmm. I would love to have a full-size horse who had that kind of emotional stability, resiliency, flexibility. She is what we want in performance horses. It's not because she's shut down, because she's a very joyful little horse. Oh, no, and she's very aware. I mean, I've seen her play, and I'm sure Alexi will explain what game she created, Panda's game, but she's a joyful horse. She's, she's all there. She is a little worker bee, and she loves to work. And one of the most fascinating things, so well, there's so many. When Again, when she was in training and uh, we were at the equine affair, and she would be guiding Anne. And at the equine affair, I think over three, four days that, that this event occurs, they get in excess of 100,000 people through the gates, just to give people who aren't familiar with it some sense. This is a crowded event. And I loved getting out in front of where Anne and Panda were so that I could look back and watch her and you would see her eyes moving from side to side and like she would be assessing what was in front and what was coming at her and making decisions about where she needed to be in order so these people are moving towards me at this it's sort of like those those math problems if two cars leave the house and their one is traveling at six miles per hour and the other is traveling at 15 miles per hour when are they going to cross well panda had all of that sorted and she would know i need to go over here because these people are coming this way and so i need to make these course corrections in order to have a clear path it's just fascinating to watch her it's what horses are good at you must have heard a lot of comments from people when people see her they must be so flabbergasted oh they are they, i always get people stopping and wanting to take pictures and uh, of course wanting to pet the little horse or let their children pet the little horse and can you allow that um it depends on the situation i I will stop and talk to people if I can, if I have time. I don't let everybody pet her. First of all, she doesn't like it very much. And it's better to emphasize to people that she's a working animal and uh, that she shouldn't be distracted or interrupted in, in her job. You know, besides the fact that Panda doesn't really appreciate being uh, mauled by uh, strangers I don't want to set up that expectation for other people who are working with uh, service animals that, that don't want their animals distracted by passersby. Yep. Sometimes you have to make that distinction so that people don't think she's there for their entertainment, or that she has a job to do, so she needs to be left alone as much as possible. But generally, you know, especially in my neighborhood, the places that I just go for leisure walks with Panda. I'm more than happy to stop and chat with people. And it's funny because now Panda will, when she sees somebody standing by the side of the sidewalk or, uh, you know, obviously approaching us, that, that she'll stop with the expectation that 
I'm going to stop and chat <laughs> chat with them for a moment. You know? She knows who your friends are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but, uh, but she just knows that I'm going to stop and talk to people. Mm. Yeah. Which brings us back to this whole discussion of cues, because and listen to the webinar as well that we had with Dr. Rosales Ruiz and the, the, the cues in context and this idea of what actually is the cue or a cue and that it's so much more than just this individual, this small signal that we are giving. It's so much more than uh, the word, you know, forward or find the button. It's so much more than that. And I know when when I had Panda in training, and I so remember it, we were getting close to the time when she was, when we were going to start transitioning Panda over to you, Anne, and, and I was walking down a particular stretch of the road, and she was, you talked about the shorelining and how Panda would go over and find the edge, and that was taught it was taught really using lateral flexions. There was a time when I would walk with my eyes closed, which is a little disconcerting when you're not practiced in it. And, and I don't have, didn't have a spotter. So I would walk a couple of steps and then I would ask Panda to find the edge, meaning I wanted her to, to move over laterally. And when my foot connected with the edge where I could feel the, the grass, I would click and reinforce her. So she got reinforced a lot for moving over and finding the edge. And then I gradually would ask for more and more steps. That's Dominique, our discussions, our many discussions on duration. And if there was a car coming, I particularly wanted her to move over and find the edge and to stop and wait for that car to go by. And Panda was, her hearing was much better than mine. She could always hear the car coming before I could hear the car coming. And so she would move over and be going into behavior that looked like there was a car, but there wasn't a, oh, there wasn't a car, but now there is. You were right, Panda. You you heard it before I did. And there were all these other little nuances of, there were the, the, the obstacles she was finding. And it just gave me shivers because I thought, if this is the level of communication that I have with this horse, what an amazing communication back and forth and you're going to have given the lifespan of a miniature horse that just at the point with the dogs where that communication is is getting to that it feels like we're reading each other's thoughts the dog is aging out and that's one of the great tragedies of it that you have this amazing partnership with a dog and the dog ages out and at the same age that the dog is aging out the horse is still young and so over the years you've got this nuance of communication that has been developing that I'm not sure any of us who haven't who are not experiencing it directly can really appreciate and it's not so much this is what we were talking about after the webinar of really what is what is a cue and it's not it's not so much that she's reading your thoughts but this complex reading of the environment so do you want to describe that a little bit to help us understand just how amazingly 
and I'll use the word magical, an experience that is. It's hard to explain. It's hard to describe, but it's... I was noticing the other day because I was walking with my sister. My sister had come to visit, and uh, so we went out for a walk together. So I was... My attention was divided because I was carrying on a conversation with my sister and at the same time working with Panda and having the flow of communication between us. And I was really pleased to see that I could do both. I didn't have to completely stop communicating with my sister in order to work with Panda and maintain our channels of communication, that she was open to it. And my sister was particularly good at staying on my right side so that Panda could, you know, work on my left and do her usual left hand uh, shorelining. I could tell by the way she was working that she wasn't feeling that my sister was in her way, which which is a an issue with a lot of people that I have walked with at various times. But that takes years of practice because I know I can't talk to someone when I'm training my (laughs) horse. So let alone in this situation, I mean, it takes a lot of practice. It's become almost second nature for you to speak with her. Yes. And, uh, you know, I I use hand signals with her also. I have to listen for her communications to me. Yep. And that's really the part that takes the most focus is listening to what she's telling me. So how does she communicate to you? She will slow down, she will stop, what else? She'll slow down, she stops, she pulls over left or right. Mm -hmm. She'll sometimes uh, toss her head. What does that mean? Uh, It usually means there's something coming that I feel could interfere with us and I don't like it. Okay. There's a bicyclist coming up behind us. And I'm not, you know, I got to make sure that he's going to go around us or he's not going to come too close. Could be a car. The track team from the high school. Yeah, the the, uh, the the cross team coming with their, I don't know what they wear, but it's uh, padding and masks and they're carrying sticks and they look like a bunch of Darth mm. Vader's, I guess, coming down the, the street and they're all, you know, jogging and... <laughs> And she's saying, what is this, the Visigoths or, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, so she's, in uh, sometimes she's, in her mind, she's cueing them. Oh. This is, you know, this is my sidewalk. Don't <laughs> encroach upon it. You know, <laughs> that kind right, of thing. Right. If I notice that, I can ask her to uh, pull over to the side or to stop so that they can go around us. She sometimes takes cues from them if she sees that they're going to the right because that's the convention in the United States is that, uh, you know, when you're passing on the sidewalk, someone coming in the opposite direction, you each go to the right side so that you can go across. So this is opposed to Panda's usual uh, tendency to go to the left side uh, to pull off the sidewalk. So I know that she may be having a little conflict there. Right. So if it's a jogger or a bicycler, sometimes they will say, if they're coming up behind us, they'll say, you know, passing on your right or whatever, uh, so that I know which way to 
to tell her to move over. But if I don't know what they're doing, and I'm not sure that Panda knows what they're doing, I, I can just ask her to stop and pull off the sidewalk so that they can go by. If we're crossing a street and she, uh, or, or a wide parking lot entrance, which we have several of in our daily walks, by the high school, there are very wide parking lot entrances, and she either hears a car coming down the street that's going to turn in, and she can tell that it's going to turn in, where I usually can't until they come close. If they start slowing down, then I think, oh, they might be turning in. But, you know, she'll either slow down, stop. If she sees somebody actually going to turn in, uh, she'll stop and let them go by or she'll make some kind of evasive movement. So I have to be paying attention to that and uh, go with it. Does she ever vocalize? No. No. Not when we're working. Have you ever encountered loose dogs barking at her? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. What does she do? Uh, She will uh, make faces at them. (laughs) She sometimes toss her head. She will... Has she kicked? She shows her utter contempt for them. Yes. You are just a dog. She'll not, she won't kick unless they actually jump on her. You know, if they come up behind her or from the side and actually jump on her, she will... Actually, she's been jumped on by many puppy-type, you know, just play-type dogs. She hasn't been aggressively attacked by a dog, thank goodness. But the barking can be pretty... Yeah, the barking. Uh, Most of the dogs in our neighborhood that we encounter on our walks are on leash. So Mm. they may be straining and and barking and occasionally growling. But uh, generally their people will keep them far enough away so that it's not an actual physical threat to Panda. And most of the dogs, even if they are barking, they're not being aggressive. They're just excited dogs. I found when I had her that there were two things that one was when the dogs did see her at first they'd be really excited they'd start running towards her and then about 20 feet away they would slam on the brakes (laughs) with this look of oh I don't know what you are actually (laughs) and so I don't really want to approach you all the way because I don't know what you are so in some respects she's actually less likely to be, well, knock on wood when I say this, to be the target of a dog-aggressive attack than another dog would be. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the the norm is actually that people are, that she is a people magnet, that people, one of the questions that that gets asked is, well, what about going into shops and restaurants? Are people going mm-hmm. to be accepting of a horse going into these environments? And the reality that we have encountered is that she is welcomed, that shop owners are practically fall over themselves to greet you at the door and invite you in, and that people tend not to be afraid of her in the way that they sometimes are afraid of dogs. So they find it much easier for her to accept her in public places than yeah. they might accept a dog, and particularly the all... shepherds. So what does, she, what does she do? Let's say you go for a meal in a restaurant. 
What does she do? She stands. She, she just stands next to your table yep. for a couple She'll of hours? She'll stand next to my chair. If we're there in a restaurant, she will generally uh, have a nap uh, on her feet for right. maybe half an hour, 50, 45 minutes. But then sometimes she'll decide to lie down if there's if there's a comfortable place to to lie down. Wow. She will lay down for maybe half an hour, and then she'll get up again. And you know, usually that's we've been in the place for maybe two hours by that time. So then it's usually time to take her out for a bathroom break. And uh, you know, then if the whatever we're at a meeting or whatever, if it's going on, we'll we she'll come back and stand around take another nap <laughs> but you you definitely great get great service if you if it's at a restaurant there's usually competition in in the kitchen over who gets to wait on the table with the horse right <laughs> and one of our early experiences we had gone to one of those big warehouse hardware stores and you know the ones that just go on forever with the lo- these the long aisles, aisles. Yeah. and we needed some PVC pipe, so we were in the aisle that had the PVC pipe, and and I looked up and there were ten or twelve associates standing around <laughs> that had just appeared out of nowhere, <laughs> and they said we heard over the walkie-talkie that there was a horse in bathroom fittings. <laughs> and you just had this image of, as they're all running to see what in the world is going on, you have this image of somebody who's brought a quarter horse or something into uh, the store and is in the aisle with all the PVC pipe and who knows what they're going to see once they come skittering around the corner. But whenever you go shopping with Panda, you, you definitely get great service. I'm sure. What about the routine in your house how does that work uh at home well panda has her own little house in my backyard by my deck i don't need her in the house i'll bring her into the house just to uh, hang out and have some mental stimulation and play games and whatnot she spends her time in in her house and i spend time with her there and of course we go for walks and we play clicker games we play retrieving games and she plays panda catch so maybe you can explain what that is <laughs> well panda catch is a game that she invented and it re- requires a, a space like a room or a, a larger space like arena we use our indoor arena to play panda catch to get so that she can get some exercise and it requires uh, two people minimum who, to, yeah, minimum to serve as uh, goalposts, and uh, generally uh, you stand, uh, spread the people out so that there's space between them. Panda, when released from her lead, she'll uh, immediately take off at a gallop and run to a person who is uh, probably furthest away, and she'll run towards them, go around their uh, right side and behind them and come up into heel position on their left side and stop and uh, then the person will click and give her a, a small treat and she will then take off and run to At a full gallop another person and uh, again run around them and into heel position wait for her click and treat and then take off and, and run again. And she can do that for how long? Well, it depends on how much exercise she needs. 
generally the people get tired before Panda does. <laughs> and how well the people play the game and, uh, you know, a, a number of other things. How, you know, if she feels like going and uh, rolling in the shavings, she'll do that. She doesn't feel required to... Uh, well, it's her game. It's her game. She gets to decide when it starts and when it ends. That's right. Well, I've heard she sometimes also gets to, she decides which person, if there are more than two, she might decide Definitely. which person she prefers Definitely. to go around. And when, when we're playing it in a group of people, she will avoid both Anne and myself because we're the ones with the leash and we are the ones who will stop the game. Right. She'll pick all the other people, but she will tend to avoid us. And she'll also tend to avoid the vet. Well, plus you're not novelty. Well, I don't know if she's looking for novelty, nope. but she she's definitely evaluating, so she'll avoid the vet because uh, she doesn't particularly <laughs> like him. <laughs> and uh, she'll also evaluate treats. So if, if she knows that uh, one person has... Uh, Someone doubles every time. Or, yes. or no, one person has cookies and the other person has uh, just her usual feed. Uh, or one person has peppermints. You know, she's going to she's going to evaluate what she wants. Yeah, and the <laughs> the panda catches. There's a fun element in it in that when she comes around into heel position, she'll then press her body up against your leg, and that was originally taught as part of her guide work because. I thought it was important that Anne should know where Panda was. Um, so if Anne has, say, you're out for a walk and you're stopped by somebody who's got a small child or, or an uh, infant in a carriage or you're in a store and you're at the counter, that you want to know where Panda is, not just where her head is, but where her hindquarters are. You don't want her swinging her hindquarters out into the face of some small toddler. So if she's pressing her body against your leg, you know exactly where she is. So that was something that I actively taught her to do, was to come up and not just stand next to me, but to make that tactile contact. So I could be engaged writing a check at a checkout counter and know without having to reach down and feel for her, I would know where Panda was because she's taking the responsibility for making that contact. And it was interesting because in horse training, we're always taught, teach the horse to move away, teach them to move away mm -hmm. from pressure. You don't want a horse pushing into pressure. You don't want a horse pushing into you. That's so disrespectful horse pushing into you and here I was actively teaching Panda to push into me and it just shows the the myths that grow up around training because yes she's a small horse so she doesn't have the body mass to push you over that a big horse would have but Panda presses up against but then stops she's not taking that and refusing to move over or crowding into your space or do, using that behavior in any way that would be considered either dangerous or nuisance behavior. And I have since taught it to big horses, which is interesting. I've taught uh, the big horses to come and make contact and to make it their responsibility to stay attached to me. 
So all these pieces that the guide work shows us from the intelligent disobedience on and the environmental cues and how good she is, like around the high school, the way you've described some of the crossings in the parking lot. And you've got these great long stretches to go. And the curbs are all blended curbs, meaning they, they're not the old fashioned kind of curb that has an actual uh, drop off. Drop you off. Have to step off. It. Right. They're blended for the wheelchairs. And so when you're just walking along, it's very hard to know. There's visually, I can tell that I've come to a curb, but in terms of what you feel, because of the way it's blended, there isn't a clear, oh, I've gotten to a curb. And the sidewalks generally are not the concrete kind of uh, squares, sidewalks with the uh, expansion joints in between. They are just asphalt that's been poured. And so, and they, they've been repaired and they've been broken and etc. many times. So there are cracks and splits and lumps and things that are at least as prominent as the difference between the, the sidewalk and the street, which is also asphalt. So there's there's not that much difference between them. And even, I find that even in the places where they've put the little bumps, the little rounded bumps on the at the edge, the special yellow, I guess they're yellow, uh, strips that are supposed to mark, tactually mark driveways and, and crosswalks, that often that texture is not that different from the texture in other places where the sidewalk is bumpy <laughs> for no particular reason. So in sub, you know, in city environments, it seems to me it's a lot easier to, uh, to navigate. You know where the, the sidewalks are and you usually, the, usually there's a, there's a difference between the concrete of the sidewalks and the, uh, asphalt of the streets. So usually you can feel that difference. And the uh, the bumps are more prominent there than they are in the the suburban environment, where sometimes there are sidewalks, sometimes there are no sidewalks, sometimes there's sort of an apron or a an asphalt that uh, serves as a sidewalk, but it isn't that different tactually. Sometimes there's a strip of dirt or grass between that sidewalk and the street. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it goes right along the edge of the street. So the suburban environment is, is really a lot more challenging than it would seem to be. You know, I, I think everybody thinks city travel is more complicated for a blind traveler than uh, the suburban would be. But actually, I find it less, you know, I find the uh, the suburban environment more challenging because of because it's less um, uniform. It's, it's there's well, less consistency. It's, yeah, there are le- there are fewer cues tactually, and there are lots of wide open spaces. There are lots of big parking lots. Buildings are usually um, set way back, so it's harder to uh, hear the echo of you know sound off the building, uh, those kinds of things. So you have fewer landmarks. Do you still have your riding horses on? I still have my Icelandic horse, Fengur. Have you found that all your 
experience with Panda has rubbed off on your training or Oh, it didn't doesn't how even you handle your other horses. Um, well, I you know, I I was riding with Alex before I got Panda and it's been all along, so I think the the communication and the techniques that I developed with Magnet before I got Panda were the template for how I interact with Fengor. The basic communication system is the same, and you're using clicker training, and we've elected to keep very active the use of the marker signal and the reinforcement. But I was thinking more in terms of, we talked earlier about the your experience with the guide dogs, and that that was command-based training. And then you're transitioning to Panda. Mm. And there I was saying, if you if you give her a leash pop, I'm going to take her away from you. <laughs> because, you know, with the guide dogs, you were actively, you were told that this is how you had to handle these dogs. Right. So there's so many people who are coming into clicker training from other types of training where it's been more of a do it or else and where they've got habit patterns that are well established and that when the dog when the the horse does something that they don't like they've been taught a lifetime of learning has gone into I need to correct and this whole I think one of, again, one of my favorite panda stories, and then we can talk about what it's like to make that transition, because I think that's mm. a value for people, is to hear about that transition. We've been talking for quite a while now, and I've been looking for a good place to take a break. This seems like a good stopping place, so that's what we'll do. We'll pick up again in the next episode. We'll be talking about the transition from command-based to cue-based training. This isn't something that's unique to guide horses. If you've come to clicker training from a more traditional background where you've been told you have to get tougher with your horse so he'll respect you, this question will resonate with you. In the meantime, since we talked about it, I've added a short clip of Panda Catch to the Equosity Library. It's a great clip. Panda is out in a field of grass, but instead of ignoring us in favor of grazing, she's racing at top speed between her human goalposts. To view the video, go to equosity.com and log into the library. And until next time, have fun with your training.